Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Stephen Gillespie. And joining us for our first NBA Lottery Team Podcast. Yes. You knew we were going to start with the Detroit Pistons because they drafted Kate Cunningham last year. They're going to be back in the lottery this year. So obviously we're going to talk about some, some big board fits. That, that might be able to, to pique the Detroit Pistons' interest. But we wanted to have somebody on who can also reflect on the season and give us some thoughts about the Pistons' young core, what the offseason outlook might look like, and then, yeah, talk about the draft because that's that's what we do at Draft Deeper. And there's nobody better than Motor City Hoops himself. Coach Bryce Simon has actually been doing a great job posting video breakdowns of prospects for the 2022 NBA draft over at MassDraft.com. Yes, Friend of the show, MassDraft, Richard Stamen. So definitely, if you haven't checked out any of that work, please go ahead and do so. But everything else, Motor City Hoops, if you're a Detroit Pistons fan, Bryce Simon is your guy. Coach Bryce, how you doing, boss? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me, Nathan. I have been excited about this all day long, all week long, ever since you reached out. Me and Steven. Steven's my guy from back in my Motor City Hoops days. It's yes, now sir. The, now the Pistons Pulse podcast with Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Free Press. But me and Steven met back then. We stayed in touch. We talk hoops, I don't know, every couple days. And so I'm, for sure. juiced, for, I'm juiced for all of this. Absolutely. So... We got, we got a pretty big show planned. We're going to see how much ground we can cover. I'm confident that we can cover it all because we're all basketball junkies here. That's all, that's all we want to do. We just want to talk hoops. Um, but let's start off very general before Stephen and I will have a bunch of different questions to ask you. Bryce, what are, what are some of your thoughts overall about how the Pistons season went, in, in your opinion? I mean, there's... There's some positives. There's some negatives. I'm not. I'm not going to spend a lot of my time running through the synergy percentiles for the Pistons because we kind of we don't. could probably <laughs> we, we could guess how those ultimately turned out. Um, but uh, we're we're not here to slander the Pistons. We're here to ultimately give a positive outlook on the team, right? Shout out to Molly Hunter of the Overstated NBA Group on Facebook. Big Pistons fan. We want to do her justice. We want to do this podcast and the Detroit Pistons team justice. So just give us some of your more positive takes from from what you saw this season. Yeah, so I think people had really high expectations coming into the season. Jeremy Grant was coming off a really breakout season in the NBA. You draft Cade Cunningham, number one, had some good rookies in Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart. Obviously, talking about two years ago, expectations were too high, guys. They were by me. And we learned very, very quickly that we needed to temper our expectations and getting better in the NBA doesn't just happen overnight. Uh, Cade started off the season injured, didn't play the first few games. Isaiah Stewart rolled an ankle in, practicing with the Olympic team. And then Jeremy Grant got hurt. KO got hurt eventually. Kelly Olenek eventually post all-star break. That's when you really started to see this team show some signs. Sadiq Bey even got off to a really slow start. Cade yeah. did even when he first played. So eventually you start to see those guys play together, play well, see some of the things you want to see. Eventually you get excited about being at the top of the lottery again. And I'll, I'll just say this people fans are still super excited about this organization, Troy Weaver and the potential for how it can grow. There were so many directions that the Pistons could have went with that number one overall pick. And it was made publicly known that, that as you bring up Troy Weaver, it's a, it's a good segue. He was exploring a bunch of options with that pick. It wasn't just Kate Cunningham. It was 
Jalen Green was a very hot name that the Pistons front office really liked. Evan Mobley, we saw what he was able to do this season for the Cleveland Cavaliers, despite where you might have had him on your personal big board. I think regardless, he was in contention for the number one pick because of the blend of size and skill. And that's just where the NBA is going. But in a different way, Cade Cunningham is also a blend of size and skill, right? It's not like he's a 6'2 point guard. He's a 6'6 point guard, has a really good frame to him. I think he's going to fill out just fine. Um, I know I had some concerns about him physically coming into the season. I think that was definitely part of what held him back at least early on in the year, but he still finished 17.4 points per game, five and a half rebounds, 5.6 assists, 1.2 steals per game. At the end of the day, like, that is a really, really good rookie stat line. And I know I, I referenced Molly earlier. She she always gives me crap because I didn't predict that good of a stat line for Cade in his rookie year. I was I was off by about two in each of those major categories. So it wasn't, wasn't too far off, but he definitely was better coming out of the gate than, than I expected. So Bryce, what are some of your more general Cade Cunningham thoughts before we get into some different aspects of his game? So one thing I always love to talk about with Cade Cunningham is he, how good he is and how impressive he was on the court this year, guys, he was even more so off the court. I, I, I would, which of those rookies and I'm, we're not, we don't have to get into the rookie of the year debate. It's over. It's done with Scotty Barnes. One no, you, we can, we can no, technically we might, have a little bit. Of it. I, we I, might I, talk about that later, Bryce. I mean, come I, on, man. I literally don't care. I don't care whether Cade got a single vote or not. Cade Cunningham was everything this organization needed him to be on and off the court. He is mature. He's a, he is, he was a leader of grown men as mm -hmm. a rookie and everything I've heard, he did it in high school with a bunch of talent around him, including Scotty Barnes. He did it in college. He was obviously the best player on that college team. And he yeah. came in with the Pistons and he did it right away. That's what I like. And he put on the buffs on draft night. He endeared himself to the city and Detroit. That matters to people. He loves Detroit. He, he totally loves, loves Detroit. He, and Ashton, the trainer, his trainer loves Detroit and the fan base loves him. And I do, I think, that matters to me. Maybe it's because I'm a fan, but I think it matters in general. The organization hit a home run with that pick, not just with how he was on the court, but also how he was off the court. Was he so definitely – I, I was just going to say, was he definitely the guy you wanted out of those top three for the yeah, Pistons? He was, and I've done a lot more draft scouting this offseason than I did last offseason, and I'm new at doing the Pistons stuff. I'm only 18 months into this. You know, not this season, but the season before was my first time doing the podcast and, and all of that stuff. And so I wasn't quite as into all of it, but yeah, everybody I talked to, Steven, Richard Stamen, all of those guys, I talked to everybody enough that Cade Cunningham was the guy, and so that's who I wanted. I, I, I want to drop this little nugget. There was a report that came out that the top three guys, one of the top three had a really poor workout for the Pistons, and it's come out since that it was Cade Cunningham. So it makes you wonder how close was Troy Weaver not to taking him because he didn't have a good workout per reports. Yeah, that's really interesting because, I mean, from everything that we're seeing from front office, from coaching staff to obviously fans uh, such as yourself, Bryce, that he endured himself quickly. He ingratiated himself quickly into that culture. And, I mean, Detroit, for everything that we could talk about with their recent struggles, I mean, it's a very historic franchise, you know. I mean, you had, like, two runs of bad boy eras, you know, a, a whole bunch of history and culture They're with going that going to team. work, Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace. Absolutely. I mean, some of the most fun teams I watch, you know, being um, from Arkansas myself, 
you know, seeing Corliss Williamson on that team, I, I was a big Corliss guy whenever he was on that squad. So if you could just talk about how specific to just like the Detroit Pistons history and culture um, that Cade Cunningham has kind of shown himself to be, that, is there like a lot of like talking with some of the older heads that used to be, you know, a part of that team? Is he, is he like learning from other pros or former pros, things like that? I do know Ben Wallace is around. He's a part of the organization. You see him at games. Um, he's, he's the main one. Obviously, Chauncey's a head coach with, with a different organization, with the Blazers. So I, I do think, like, I, I can't help but wonder, and this is going to sound like I'm trying to knock Jalen Green, and I'm not, but I don't know that Jalen Green has the personality that would have endeared himself to the city of Detroit and the fan base. For the star that Kate is, one of people's favorites highlights of his this season is him like locking somebody up and then diving on the floor for a loose ball. People talk about it and retweet it. That's just what it is to be a Piston and to be a Pistons fan. And so I do think of all those guys at the top, he's the one that kind of fit that mold the best. Before I think Steven wants to go into more developmental questions with Cade and, and get into a few of the, the things that he definitely noticed with Cade. I do want to say about, the, the conversation around those top three guys and who could have possibly went to Detroit, right? I said it from the start when I was mocking these guys, like the draft played out at the top, how I would have wanted it to play out, right? Like I thought Cade was the best option for Detroit because in my opinion, he was the number one guy or he would have been the number one guy on my board. I did a tier system more or less last year than like an individual one, two, three, four type of ranking, but he was in that top tier for me along with Jalen Green, because they thought, I thought they had MVP level ceilings, not just, you know, they could reach an all-star game or two in their career. Like I'm talking part of some of the highest ceiling, but Cade in a different way, Jalen Green, we know that he is a remarkable talent. And I think he's only going to keep getting better and better and better. We saw that, especially at the end of the year, but Cade, yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head, Bryce talking about the leadership aspect, how he's just one of these guys, you can funnel everything through and you know that he's only going to keep getting better. And he already showed enough signs this year that he can be that primary guy. He has the ball in his hands. He can go get you a bucket whenever you need him to get you a bucket. The passing, I think, is going to translate more and more as the Pistons bring in better guys around him, which is something we'll definitely touch on a little bit later in the podcast. But you guys, you guys needed that type of dude on the perimeter. Mobley's going to be a special, special player as well. Mm. I just... I don't know if he's a number one. I kind of still have some of those questions. He's going to be one of the best number twos in the entire NBA. Like that's not even up for debate. And I think that's why Cleveland had much better personnel to surround him, but like not even just from embracing the culture type of person, but like from a fit perspective, you definitely think that Cade was the best for your Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. You hit it all nail on the head right there, as you said, because they needed that number one guy, the face of the franchise guy. I don't think Jalen Green he's a bucket getter, right? And like, he's, he might average 30 a game for a couple seasons. Like I would not be surprised if he does that in his career, but I still don't know if he's like the face of your franchise guy. That's just like the, the leader that galvanizes everybody. That's what Cade Cunningham is. He did it as a rookie. And I realized the Pistons suck. Like, let's just be honest. They were not good this year. Like I can admit it. I understand that, but I watched every second of this young man play. I watched every second of Pistons basketball the last two seasons and there's just something about him. There's a gra people gravitate towards him because he just has that that aura about him. And there's a lot to get better at. So I, I realize I'm like boosting him right now. I get it. 
and we get overly excited about this kid. But there's plenty of like on the court stuff this kid has to get better at as well. Well, let's well, talk let's about that. I know, yeah, I know Steven wants to get into some of that. So let's let's get into it. Yeah, for sure. I'll I'll jump right to this question here for you, Bryce. We we talked about the intangibles, you know, the leadership qualities and all of that. I think spot on from everything that I've seen. And certainly you've watched more Detroit basketball than I have. So I, I, it just makes me feel better that the things that I'm seeing that you're seeing as well, it makes me feel better about myself, right? So thank you. But let's talk about what we're looking at for him moving forward, right? Like we, we talk about, you know, the, uh, the dive on the floor, because when your leader does that type of things, like everyone else is without excuse. Like if Kate is like your prized future, the franchise is hustling and, and doing everything else on the court, then everyone else is without excuse. So it's great to see him do that. But what else do you think that the team and himself should be focusing on moving forward for year two? Like, obviously, I think 10 years down the road, you would like to say that he's an NBA champion. He's a multi-time MVP, things like that. But for his sophomore season in the NBA, Bryce, like, what are some realistic expectations that you're, that you and maybe the fan base and from what you're hearing from the team are putting on him? Yeah, so for me personally, and I don't know, I may be a little different than the rest of the fan base on this. I think he needs to bulk up even more. I think he needs to put and on yeah, some absolutely. strength. And it, because that's his game. And I'll be honest, I pushed back a little bit on the Luka Doncic comparisons because I don't want him to be as heliocentric. I know that's kind of the buzzword. But I do think <laughs> their games are similar because Cade's not going to beat you with like, the athleticism you alluded to earlier, Nathan, there, he's not a super athlete. Like he's not like a top tier NBA yeah. athlete by any means. He uses it with like just subtle movements, this in and out dribble. He bulls you to sleep. He changes speed. And if you're stronger, if he's 10, 15 pounds stronger, he can utilize those angles and get to those spots on his floor even better. And he can, you know, go to work in the mid post where I think he has a game there that he just hasn't shown yet. So for me, it's 10 pounds of muscle, whatever's most realistic. I okay. mean, that's, that, that's definitely what, what I really noticed coming into the season, Bryce. I mean, we, when I was out in the summer league and I was watching him, I, was, I hadn't gotten to scout him live, um, but before he got to the NBA, but really in summer league, I noticed how skinny he actually was. And I was like, holy cow. Like, I, yeah. I didn't realize he was that thin. And I know that, like, he's a vegan and, like, those are some of the things, the dietary choices that, that go into that as well. But yeah, I would agree with you. I want him to be able to safely add weight and keep bulking up because one of the things that he doesn't really have that Luca does have is when Luca operates out of the pick and roll, he's not the quickest guy either, but he can get somebody on his hip and he can keep them there. That's yep. some of the, the in-between craft that I think Kate needs, but you need to have a certain level of strength to be able to do that. And then I think when he gets downhill, it's going to be more about you. You see when he tries to finish around the basket, he can finish at some awesome angles. He has some really good touch on some runners floaters around the basket, but some of the angles that he approaches, they just aren't the best of shots. They're really tough angles to take. So I think when more of his game downhill becomes less of, I need to go around guys and maneuver around guys to finish some of these plays. When he gets to the point where he can go through more of the defense, then he's really going to start getting to the free throw line more and really upping his scoring average and being a more efficient offensive player overall. Yeah, and he finishes well with his left hand, but I and I think he wants to play the way you're talking about, but you saw like 
he, he gets the chicken wing out there a little bit too much because like his <laughs> body just doesn't absorb it. Yeah. And I think the strength added strength, and I'm sure you're going to ask about these, Stephen, will help in a couple other categories in terms of his three point shooting, which was yeah. very, very erratic and inconsistent this year and turnovers. I think it'll help with, with some of his turnovers. Now, some of that is decision-making and careless passing, but some of his turnovers, like he just gets the ball ripped from him as he's driving, he takes a little contact and he loses control of the ball. Yeah, and I think as a rookie too, Brett, like on a team like this with the, the talent being what it is, um, with the expectations being what they are, I think a lot of, you know, a young guard season or in, in you know, Cade's case, I don't even necessarily know if you classify him as a guard as just an overall playmaker, right? Uh, he's got to figure out what he can get away with, right? Like that's part of the developmental process and having a, you know, having a coaching staff and a front office that believes in him and are willing to put those developmental reps and minutes into him that's huge for him because that can boost his confidence. Like knowing he has the freedom to go out there and try some things against like higher level of competition, because let's face it, you know, with the teammates that he had coming into the NBA, he still has a lot that he had to figure out about himself as a player and a leader as well. So I'm glad that you addressed the, the, the shooting efficiency and the turnovers. Let's flip sides. Let's talk about the defense. Like what did you notice in particular with him? Because I mean, Nathan, you and I talk about this all the time. Like, we don't necessarily expect like young dudes to come. Not, not everyone's Herb Jones, ladies and gentlemen, like not everyone could come in and guard every other team's best player. And positionally, some people feel like the position that you play in the NBA is, is, the, is the position that you defend. So with that being said, Bryce, like how do you evaluate his defense and what are some of the, the improvements that he needs to show? Before, on that side? before Bryce gets into it, like just, the really quick, the defense, I was so interested to evaluate Kate yeah. from a defensive standpoint at Oklahoma State, even more so in the offense. Like, you can go back and watch it up the modern highlights and know, like, this dude's going to be really, really good on offense. But defensively, he has the size at 6'6". He has the length. He has the positional understanding to be able to play angles, not just on the ball, but also off the ball. Like, he can kind of be a rover a little bit, too, and be a defensive playmaker on top of once he keeps adding to his body, like, guard people one-on-one, like, yeah, it's talk talk about the defense a little bit because I think he has a really bright future on that end too, not just offensively. Yeah, so I, I want to go back real quick and then I will get into the defense, but he really did get everything thrown at him in his rookie season. He was getting blitzed and doubled yep. and expected yep. to make the – and again, not to knock anybody else, but what other rookie was being asked to do all those things throughout the entire – so in here's what I love is in his rookie season, he's learning about all those things. And he's a guy that is going to learn from those game reps. Okay, defensively. Again, this isn't going to sit well with a lot of Pistons fans. I think his defense is a tad overrated by Pistons fans or fans in general right now. I think he has all the things you guys talked about. I did a post-All-Star break defensive breakdown of Cade Cunningham for DetroitBadBoys.com. I didn't think the on-ball defense was super great. Uh, And... I think I'm glad you brought that up, Steven, because I'm trying to figure out who are his best matchups. It's not little guards. It's, it's not the Trey Youngs and the Steph Curry's of the world. I don't think. Is he better off guarding bigger wings? And if he puts on 10 pounds of muscle this offseason, is he going to be able to match up with those type of guys better? He, his basketball IQ is so good that I do think he's a really good off ball player, even though he's not super bouncy, he can provide some like low man weak side rim protection, but I think there's some room for improvement with Cade Cunningham on the defensive end. Yeah. And I think that, I think that a lot of us would agree with you, but Nathan, you, you spoke to the, the potential that he has on that side of the ball. I mean, 
whatever the whatever the appropriate you know pounds of muscle that he needs to add bryce i'm with you like i just want you know functional muscle mass like it whatever numerical value you slap on there that's i'm all for it right so nathan looking at this and and everything that bryce said i'm glad that we got into this kate cunningham this discussion but bryce just one more question that i have for you specifically for Cade, and then I'll turn it back over to Nathan is, again, you'll preface this just to, for the aggregators out there. Cade still has a lot to figure out. He's going to be really good, but still has a lot to figure out. For his rookie season, like what moment do you could you point to? Because you've watched every second. What moment could you point to to be like, okay, like this is our guy. He's figuring it out. Like, is there like one like moment or was it like a stretch of games or maybe a month? Like, what could you point to to be like, okay, Cade's the guy? There, there was a lot, but there was a showdown with the Nets and Kevin Durant where they just went back and forth, and it was like, he's doing this against Kevin Durant. Like, th- that's got to mean something. And then he talked about it, and he talked about how he had always dreamed about playing these guys, and you kind of got the vibe that maybe he was still getting over. I don't want to say starstruck, but getting over that he's going toe to toe with these guys. And so I just listened to that quote and thought to myself, he's going to be even better next year because he's not going to be thinking, Oh my gosh, I'm going toe to toe with Kevin Durant. It's just going to be, I've been here. I've done this. I'm not a fan anymore. I'm 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 a basketball player. And and, and I'm not saying that the moment was too big for Cade Cunningham because very few moments were, I'm just saying you could tell there was still a little bit of that. Can I ask a question? I always do this. Sure. Like, come on, what do the synergy numbers say? Because I know you guys are big synergy guys. Oh, and, boy. I'm sure Nathan's and, got it caught up right now. Oh, and, and I don't think they're great. Like, a lot of people come at me like he wasn't efficient. The numbers don't tell a great story. I don't know how in-depth synergy goes defensively, but I would just be interested, like, excellent, good, poor, below average well, or something. Bryce, before Nathan gets into the numbers in specific, I think that this has been a running theme that Nathan and I have been talking about on like all of our recent podcasts is that there's really not like a true defensive metric that you can point to that's all encompassing because like Bryce as a coach, as a player, you know that anything that you get defensively is more so for whatever reason, a reflection of how the team did, right? Because even if you do your job as an off-ball defender, you're going to give up a point per possession, right? Like, like if someone scores. So there, there's really no like all-encompassing defensive metric. So I think that people who would just look at the numbers instead of like combining all the data, like maybe they can paint like a more negative picture. But as someone that watched the game, Bryce, I'm sure that you could probably speak to it a little bit more because of how close to the team you are. Yeah, no, and I'm the same way. I don't, I have a hard time buying into any of the true individual defensive metrics, but I was just curious what synergy had offensively and defensively for him. So, I mean, well, I didn't know which way you wanted to go. It's, I mean, from, from a defensive perspective for the team, they were 22nd out of, out okay. of 30 teams. So actually not the worst. They were much worse on offense, um, as you could have probably expected. The Cade, yes. even though Cade only rated out in the 16th percentile offensively, he had some bright spots, right? Like scoring out of the pick and roll as the ball handler. He was in the 46th percentile. That's that's not bad for a rookie at all. When, when we evaluate rookies, if you're like in the 40th percentile or above in a category, it's worth mentioning it as 
a good thing that you saw during the season. If you're in the 75th percentile or above and something as a rookie, holy crap, like we definitely need to make sure that we're highlighting that for the player. But And we because- also need to focus too, and Bryce, you could speak on this. There's like, there was a, there was a shift in play style too, or like early on in the season, Cade wasn't necessarily like the, the pick and roll ball handler as he was as the season went on. And I would say early in the year, Pistons fan would say he wasn't the focus of the offense. It was still kind of Jeremy Grant's team. And there was this awkwardness between the two and like who, and, and Cade got off, the whole offense got off to an historically bad start, like shooting from three. I think they yeah. ended up like 29th, but they were 30th by a lot at one point early in the season. Sadiq was playing awful. I went through the whole thing earlier. The team didn't really figure out who they were till halfway through the season. They started playing a little faster and coach Casey let them start playing a little more pick and roll because they got Marvin Bagley the third. Maybe that's not a popular name for people. He did make a difference for this Pistons team. And we'll talk about him more later. Okay. We'll talk about him more later. Okay. Perfect. But but just like some positives to highlight with Kate, as I mentioned, the pick and roll scoring, the spot up scoring, the isolation scoring, even when he would take smaller guards in the post, he he had fairly efficient numbers for a rookie in terms of those play types. Really the biggest things, the negatives that we would come back to for Kate that the numbers definitely agree with would be, you talked about Bryce, you don't want him to be this ultimate heliocentric player for the Pistons. You want to see a little more diversity within the offense. If that's going to happen, he has to be a better guy around the basket, only rated out in the 30th percentile. And we know that comes back to a lot of the body stuff that we talked about, but also the jump shooting in particular, the catch and shoot shot, 35th percentile and catch and shoot shots. That has to be an area of improvement moving forward, especially if he's going to play next to another ball handler, which I'm I'm sure we're going to talk about the Killian Hayes experiment at some point. But like, even if Killian Hayes isn't the answer, but you want to find another guy to take over that role, he's got to be a better player off the ball, catch and shoot shots, as well as cutting the basket, getting involved, getting downhill. No, I agree. The, the shooting was a disappointment right i mean come not off the dribble though he can create yeah, his own okay, shot yes, just yes stepping in off the catch he's got to get better absolutely absolutely but he shot what 40 percent from three at oklahoma state and it was 31 percent. but I, I don't know that i'm concerned i'm a little bit nervous like i, I was probably overzealous thinking like oh yeah he's gonna be a 40 percent three-point shooter and it's like now i'm a little bit more like he's probably gonna be like a 35 percent three-point shooter throughout his career and i know some players have wide variants but if he's doing it off the dribble at a high clip, that's good. But you're right, Nathan. There's a lot of clips like going through my head, not specific, but like I can kind of envision good offense gets to Cade Cunningham. And you're like, oh, this is our dude. This shot's going to go down and he doesn't make it. So uh, he started off the season 0 of 18 from three also. And that's part of why. The- that was back when he was a bust, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, so I have, I have to mention this. <laughs> go ahead. I literally wrote an article for DBB and I had to go look it up the other day to make sure like I didn't dream this. I'm getting old and forgetful, but. I can relate, I- dude. You're talking to two grandpas. So it's okay, <laughs> After after two games, I had to write an article that said Cade Cunningham is going to be dot 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 just fine, and outline a whole article about. I remember how, that how he wasn't going to shoot twenty percent from the field and zero percent from three for his whole career, and he was doing all this other stuff, including solid defense creation, all these other things. And I look back and I'm like, I, I literally was getting texts like, "Oh, your boy's a bust." I'm like, "He's played two games." <laughs> Chill out, I, chill out, people. I think it really comes back to the fact that a lot of the negatives that I can point to really point back to his body. And yes. the fact that 
if that's really what we're concerned about when natural development for these guys four, five, six years down the road points to the fact that he's going to be just fine in that area, it's going to open up everything else for his game. What, what, what are we talking about here? Like he, he, he was, he was number one for me. He's still number one for me. I think he's going to be the franchise changing player that we projected. The one last question I'll ask you, but before we move on to some of the other guys, you did mention the passing and you mm. did talk about at times you thought the passing could have been a, a little careless and not that we want to bring that up as a full negative and something we want to harp on for Cade, but it's important because you did bring it up and you did recognize it, but it points back to the debates that people had about Kate Cunningham before the draft. A lot of the, the case against Kate Cunningham and that whole propaganda narrative. And I roll my eyes every time I saw a lot of that stuff, but that was one thing that did pop up was that is Kate as good of a passer as we're really advertising him to be? Cause like the turnovers were basically the same in college as they were his rookie year, the assistant turnover ratio, some of the points you could point back to on tape, like, what do you think of, about his passing after watching him in the NBA for a year? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up. So I said I've watched every single game this past season, right? I also, a couple weeks ago, went back and watched every single turnover from Cade Cunningham's rookie season and tracked it based on was it a strength issue? Was it a ball handling issue? Was it a poor decision or poor pass issue? And overwhelmingly, it was poor pass, poor decision issues with his turnovers. Like that's, and, and you would expect that's where most of them come from. I, I realize inherently that's where they're going to come from. But I think he's a good passer in that he sees everything he needs to see. He can make every pass you need him to make. He can make the going to his left, one hand, you know, scoop pass, you know, all of that stuff, over the head pass. He just makes real lackadaisical decisions. I don't, I don't know if people like that word or not. I don't know how else to explain it. There's just, or careless, however you want to say it. I'm like, there's times, Cage, your basketball IQ is so high. Like, you should have mm. known not to make that pass. You've got to value the ball more. And I know that's coach speak, but that's how I felt. Do you I think, do you, do you think it's more, do you think it's more assist hunting versus like he actually can't see? the multiple levels of the defense like after he comes off a screen do you think it's more that he isn't seeing what's going on i think it's honestly like i think i can thread the needle here i think this is going to be a bucket like and, and and that comes back to a careless decision i never thought it was like oh he doesn't see the secondary rotation or anything like that i think it was sometimes he predetermines things like he's trying he's really good with eye manipulation so a couple times he's using his eye manipulation and I don't know, I don't think this shows on video. So I look really stupid right now doing this, but oh, you look great, dude. You look great. <laughs> he's doing his eye manipulation and he thinks he's going to move the defender, but he doesn't move the defender. And so he ends up throwing it right to him. So he's kind of predetermined his decision. But again, I think he makes the reads. I think he sees it all, but even some like post entry stuff, it's like, Cade, come on, man. Like you can make that pass. Why, why is it three feet short? You know, I don't know why we're throwing it to the post anyway, but so I just, I keep going. Are you doing your boy Stewart like that, man? Come on. Isaiah Stewart needs a few touches, not a lot, but a few, but it just, it was careless. That that's the best way I can explain it. Is it just too many careless lackadaisical passes? And I think too, Bryce, before we close on this is that me personally, young guard figuring out the NBA, I would rather have a guy who can make those passes just has to figure out the timing aspect of it and sure. let the game slow down for him. Right. So as much as we can, especially you as a coach, right? Like you're using your coach speak, like you got to value every possession. Like when he matures and the game slows down for him, having the ability to make those passes and see those things is going to, you know, blossom into something beautiful for your team. Yeah. All I'll say real quick. And I know we really do need to move on to somebody else is, 
if it's the same number next year, then I think it, you start yeah. to be like, maybe this is just going to be who he is in the NBA. But if you see a small, even a small improvement next season, I think that gives you some hope. Like he'll, he'll slowly figure it out year by year. He's always going to be a high turnover guy. Cause he's going to be a high usage guy, Exactly. but, but you would like to see some small improvements for sure. So let's move into a few of the other guys. Um, I did want to talk to you about Sadiq Bay, and Man, I'm not going to take Sadiq. not going to take full credit for this question. But along with giving some of your general Sadiq Bay thoughts, Bryce, this was this was Stephen's question you wrote down. Got got to give credit where credit is due, and I I love it. If Detroit is a good to great to possibly championship level team, like obviously in a better place two three years from now than where they are right now, Sadiq Bay is the blank best player in the rotation like what what type of offensive outlook do you see Sadiq having moving forward number four and, and again I don't think people are going to like that but I think that's realistic it, maybe maybe number three depending on who one and two are but I think he's your fourth best player I would agree with you before you okay. go like I, I think Same. you're not crazy I would agree with you Same. okay my my ceiling whatever you want to call it and I, I text Steven I want to have the ceiling floor conversation about prospects yeah. I don't know if we'll have time but I see him as a guy, maybe he makes a couple all-stars because he's on a team that's really, really good. And he is the fourth best player and they get four, four guys. But if he's your number three, I'm not sure that you're competing for a championship. He, he had a really good sophomore season, but if you look at his numbers, like he didn't shoot it that great. He was very up and down and people will point, well, he scored 51. It was on the magic, you know, like, I mean, Kyrie dropped 60 two days before or something like that, or a week before against the magic. So I, I like Sadiq. It was a great selection where they took him. I think he's exceeded a lot of people's expectations. I think he's a long-term starter for the Detroit Pistons, but I think you still have a gap between Cade and you need a couple other guys and then Sadiq Bay. So what, what are the things holding him back for you? Because he was a really interesting debate before the draft. And, and one of my older co-hosts, Cole, who I had on draft deeper before for Mr. Mr. Steven over here, who graciously wanted to come on the show and, and help me out here. We had a fascinating debate about Sadiq Bay because Cole would always highlight some of the stuff that he did in Villanova out of the post and how he had such a much more of a polished mid-range game in college. I said to Cole, I'm like, dude, this guy ended up shooting a lot more threes than you probably would have wanted him to towards the end of his career Villanova. I'm like, dude, he's going to be a flamethrower from three. That's what he's going to do in the NBA. He's going to be outside the arc. I'm telling you that mid range game and that post game, it's not going to be there in the NBA. He's going to want to be a three point shooter. That's almost exclusively what he did during his rookie year. And you go into a sophomore season that really hasn't changed for him. Do you like, do you think there might be a little more to tap into, or do you think that's who he is because that's who he has to be in the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little bit more. I like his mid-post game. I don't think he's bad there. He's not real creative off the bounce. He doesn't, you know, we just you just asked me about Cade Cunningham making secondary reads. I don't think Sadiq sees the floor in that way I would agree. a lot of times. He does at times, but not as much as you would want. And he I don't, this sounds negative. This has a negative, but he kind of plays bully ball when he gets into the lane. I don't think he has a lot of finesse around the rim. I don't think he has a lot of touch around the rim, to be honest with you. He had some games and some moments, but really he's a flamethrower. He's a straight line driver. He's going to finish at the rim if he can play through contact. He's got a little bit of mid post stuff. And then quite honestly, again, to get to the other side of the floor, 
he doesn't guard the perimeter that well. He, he really doesn't. He gets opened up. He gets his hips turned real early against guys on the perimeter. He's almost better guarding, again, big wings, almost fours. I've made the argument I like him better at the four, which hopefully won't happen because they'll have Paolo Bancaro or Jabari Smith Jr. But like, <laughs> okay. but like, I do think that would be a natural position for him is actually at the four. So it, just the really quick before we move off of City Bigs, I know Steve wants to talk about a few other guys, but you did mention the passing disparity. I 100% agree with you. And you wanted to get into some of the synergy numbers because you know I always have yes, them yes, up. Yes, <laughs> Absolutely, the numbers would agree with that as well. Sadiq Bey rated out in the 53rd percentile in terms of total offense. That's good. That, that's fine. That's what you want out of a fourth or a fifth option in an NBA starting lineup. When you factor in possessions plus assists, that rating drops down to the 38th percentile, which mm. would be, it should be, you know, we're, we're talking average to you're getting into potentially below average territory. So that speaks to more. If you don't necessarily trust them to operate out of secondary play types with the ball in his hands, making decisions, how can you have him operate out of the post if he can't pass out of a double team? How can you have him operate in some of these inverted pick and roll situations if he can't turn the corner well enough and then make a decision after that? That kind of pushes him out towards the perimeter, which is fine. He can shoot threes. We know he can do it at a high level. But if that's really all he is and he's not giving you everything you would want from him versus from a versatility standpoint on the defensive end either, there's not really much more wiggle room in terms of like, is there more there for him to be like a third option? But, but I don't want that to sound completely negative on Sadiq because sometimes it really is harder to find these like fourth or fifth guys who really complement everybody else well on the team. And Sadiq has complimented the other guys with the Pistons through two years of, you've had a lot of guys come through those lineups I and mean, the number of players that play for the Pistons, you expect that to be the case for a bad team. But the fact that he's been able to gel at points with virtually everyone he's played alongside of when the Pistons do end up getting better players and they keep figuring out the talent that needs to be around Cade and Sadiq can, like Sadiq has proven he can be there around better guys. And it's probably yep. going to help him in his three point shooting out as well. Yeah. I mean, they played 27 guys this last season and I know everybody's <laughs> numbers were up because of the crazy COVID stuff that went on there for a month. Yeah. But Sadiq has also played every single game of his career. Like he's been an Iron Man in that Absolutely. way. And what what what's the saying? Uh, the best ability is availability, and he's been that. Go ahead. Yeah, Steven. I, I I loved Sadiq Bay. I thought that he should have got picked like way higher than uh than what he did in the draft. I'm, I'm glad though, Bryce, that you guys are reaping the rewards of having a guy who who's a pretty good IQ basketball player. And just real quick. You know, being a fourth option on a championship championship. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing I mean, Mikael, you know, Mikael Bridges is doing all right, ladies and gentlemen. Like, there's nothing wrong with being. There's something about being from Villanova, right? That's why you like Jeremiah Robinson Earl when he came. I was there. huge. On, that's a whole nother story. Just I'm for sorry. the record, I hate Villanova because they ended my college career. So <laughs> let's ease up on the on the Villanova love. All right, no, so I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, I'm no, just, no, no, Bryce. I mean, I won't, they, they I won't really, say. they really did end my career, but I don't hate them. Okay, well, we got to get into that. We got to get into that in a little bit, but we'll move on to Killian Hayes, like a, oh. a guy, a guy who did get some number one pick overall considerations from certain other NBA draft outlets. Won't get into that now, but um, got a lot of love coming into the draft, and was you know had a, had a season, and then <laughs> here comes Cade Cunningham, and I felt like the drafting of Cade Cunningham would complicate the development of Killian Hayes. And from what I saw, it, it kind of that kind of actually happened, right? But it's one of those things, Nathan, that you speak to. 
You never draft for, you know, fit. You draft best available, especially you you, at, at that position. Absolutely. Right. So do you like the fit together? Like is Killian a guy that you value long-term on Detroit? And I'm not trying to get you to turn on, you know, one of your own or anything like that, but do you like them to those two being on the team? Do you like them better on different units? Like, do you like some of the stuff that they do together? Like, could you talk to us about that dichotomy of, of Killian and Cade? By the uh, way, second second year in the league, ninth percentile in terms of total offense for Mr. I, Killian Hayes. So not I, not great. I knew the synergy numbers weren't for weren't very good for him. I didn't I didn't even I didn't even have to ask. Um I like the archetype of Killian Hayes next to Cade. Because Killian really is a good defender. I, mm-hmm. I, like, like he, he does guard and he guards on the ball really well. And then you don't have to put Cade, I talked about it earlier, on the other team's best perimeter player. Where that where where my logic is skewed is Killian can't catch and shoot right now. And so I guess that's the archetype of player. Like I'm thinking Lonzo Ball. Like that's that's the type of player I would like Killian to be. And I think that would fit good next to Cade. Now that's not the only good fit next to Cade. I'm just saying I like the idea of that type of fit. The problem is what Lonzo shoots 40% from three on seven attempts a game or something. Every, every, every time Killian Hayes takes a step back jumper, it's just like some, something's died somewhere. <laughs> like it's just not good. And here's yeah, the, the unicorn dies. Yeah. I don't, I don't think Killian wants to play that role and, and I have no firsthand knowledge. Omari doesn't give, even though he's a beat writer, he doesn't tell me anything. I don't get anything else, anything <laughs> that anybody else, but just my observation is he wants to play with the ball in his hands and you guys could tell me more. He seems like a kid that grew up with the ball in his hands, running yeah. the show. And that's what he wants to do. And that's fine. He's just going to have to do it in the second unit and second unit point guards are very, I listened to your guys's episode with Rashad Phillips talking about the value of a second unit point. Absolutely. Guard. And there's nothing wrong with that. Is it good value nope. for the number seven pick? No, that's Troy Weaver's fault. That's not killing Hayes fault that he got picked in the wrong spot. I think there's a long-term future if Killian is willing to embrace that. And then maybe you close games with him and Cade at times, which they did this season. I think his long-term outlook is the second unit point guard. Uh, Yeah, that's actually like where my head went to when I'm looking at what's best for Detroit moving forward because getting another guy, we see the direction that the NBA is going. and, And Nathan, we talk about this too, is, especially in the playoffs, like you need multiple guys that can create, that can keep the defense defense honest. Killian can create, but yes. can he finish? Can he shoot? Can you trust him to make tough reads? Like those are some of the, and he's a young guard and we would love to sit here and pretend that every young guard is going to catch on. But like some of the best point guards in the NBA, like took a few seasons before they actually figured some things out. So it's not like the book is shut on Killian Hayes' development or his career progression, but I just think adding a guy like a Cade was going to slow down that progression. And it looks like at least in this season it had. So um, before we close out on, on Killian, you talked about him in the second unit. Was there a particular pairing of someone else outside of Cade that you saw him be able to do anything with that you were just impressed with? Was it like maybe Kelly Olenek doing some things between the two of them you know, I mean, Kelly's an interesting fit in the NBA because he he does a little bit of everything. And I feel like when he's on your team, like he's he's definitely a team guy. Like the teams that he plays for, they love him. 
but then like he kind of get has like holes in his game that get poked at. Well, Killian Hayes, like maybe maybe this is the answer, maybe it isn't, but like Killian Hayes is somebody who showed a lot of passing flashes before he came yep. into the NBA. Like, is it pairing him with guys like Mohamedou Diallo or maybe like a Josh Jackson who are willing to cut, who are guys who get moving towards the basket, and then Killian can kind of fire the ball in some of those angles, and you can take better advantage of his passing versus relying on him to be just a score out of like pick and roll or spot up situations. A hundred percent, and that's when say him and KO actually kind of butted heads I felt like because KO wanted to be the point forward role that he played at the end of the season with the Rockets and Killian's like no give me the ball like what is going on <laughs> and and then like there was some awkward stuff where like they KO actually injured Killian and obviously Killian's been I had of, no idea so yeah, yeah. I no, definitely eat my foot right here no no it, here <laughs> but you would think they'd be a good pair I love the KO signing because the pick and pop spread the floor as a big so a guy like him, a guy like Isaiah Livers, who most of the listeners aren't going to know who I'm talking about. Yeah, he was a second round pick, but he came on like he's another guy that really defends. Hey, they know who you're talking about. Come on, Bryce, this is draft deeper, baby. Okay. Draft we, deeper. We, we had him in the forties, all right. Okay, I apologize. I didn't. <laughs> nobody's gonna like that. So I didn't mean to insult anybody's intelligence. No, you're no. I'm, we I'm got thick skin around here. We I'm got just messing with you, coach. coach. All right, so. But he defends and he can shoot it. So it's like, okay, this can be a disruptive backcourt. They're both long and, and guard. But yes, if Killian's going to be at his best offensively, it's the ball in his hands and you better give him a lob threat and three guys willing to shoot around him because he's probably not going to be the one that scores it. He had one game where he went bananas, but it was essentially a G League game against the Oklahoma City Thunder when both teams were tanking. He was by far the best player on the floor, which was kind of exciting to see but it wasn't against any of the good talent that, that Oklahoma City has. And, and, and that, that's probably why him and Cade aren't the best of matches because you want Cade to have the ball in his hands. And when he's off the ball, we brought it back. He's not a good cutter. He's not a good guy yeah. that you want going towards the basket all the time right now in his career. The catch shot was inconsistent. That's like the opposite of what you want around Killian Hayes to take better advantage of those passing situations. So tough fit, but – in some second unit situations, working with a different cast of characters around him, there are certain ways to get better use of his offensive talents. And then obviously you get what you get on the defensive side with him as well. So yeah, he's not, not, not a bust. I, I won't use the word bust with him. Just maybe not worth the seventh pick. Is that fair to still, say? That's yes, fair to yeah. Still a lot of career ahead of him. Yeah. Yeah. I would right now where I would say his trajectory is headed for his career, it wasn't a great value as the number seven pick. Like it, it, it just, and it, what, what makes it worse, especially for Pistons fans is Isaiah Stewart and Sadiq Bay were great values with where they got selected. And it, that all happened in the same draft class. Oh man. I, you brought up the, before, I, I think Steven wants to ask you about a certain mid season acquisition, but just really quick on the Isaiah yep. Livers front, man, that guy's making me look bad because people brought up debates during last year's draft cycle about why would you draft Corey Kispert in the lottery to the mid first when you could possibly get Isaiah Livers in like the forties in, in the second round. And I'm like, no, 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 Kispert, like this guy had a historic offensive season for Gonzaga. Like you want to take that guy, the livers to his credit, man, especially if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. Like he probably could have gotten first round looks for NBA teams. He is that good of a shooter. I bet, I bet you're really happy to have him. We it is and it's hard as a fan because you always get excited about these guys, right? Like they play kind of well and you get over the top excited. It, it's happened with some other guys, Frank Jackson, um, Josh Jackson, even at the beat, not this season, but the season before kind of had a nice start to the season and then it tempered off. 
But Livers just seems to do the things that you think he's going to stick. Not as a starter. He's not going to be a starter in the league. But coming off the bench, he's going to defend. He's going to shoot at a high level. And he has a high basketball IQ. I got to sit courtside for warm-ups. I got credentialed for the one game I got to go to this season. Watched him warm up. He's the only guy that came out and was doing, like, defensive closeout drills. And, like, as a coach, I'm like – That's cool. I was just, like, juiced because I'm like, he's out here, you know, doing closeout drills with John Beeline before he got shots up. So – I think he's a guy that sticks and gets some minutes. Beautiful stuff. All right. So Bryce, now we're going to transition to some off season conversation before we get to really what everybody's here to listen to. Like we're, we're going to get into the draft stuff, you know, this is draft people. We're going to get into the draft, but for the off season outlook, man, I was so excited to see Marvin Bagley get traded away from Sacramento because I mean, Sacramento, I think that they have a real opportunity, depending on what they do this offseason, to finally kind of like modernize the infrastructure that they have there. But I think that they completely butchered Marvin Bagley. I really loved him in the draft. I still think that there's a lot to like about him. And I think getting the opportunity to run free in Detroit, where, you know, a team that that doesn't have the the bright lights and expectations, have a very passionate and devout fan base, but you you can you can do more and develop more in Detroit with you know you're going to have a fan base to kind of keep some of the other naysayers away from them or protect them <laughs> right so Marvin Bagley on this team from what i saw the few games and possessions that i watched of him i said man like we're starting to see what a little bit of what everyone thought that he could be in the nba yep. and playing alongside of a guy who's going to take pressure off of him and potentially run some great pick and roll sets with him as, as they both start maturing and growing together with Cade Cunningham. I love that move, but here's the thing that Detroit has to face now, Bryce, because of where he's at in his career alongside his contract. He has a high cap hold now because of how high he was taken in the draft. And he's also a restricted free agent. So maybe another team looks at how he did in Detroit, values that, throws a little bit of a bag at him. Do you want to see him return to Detroit? And if so, like how high would that be on your list of priorities for your team? Yeah, I definitely want him to come back. He provides something that no other big on this roster provides. And as we've talked about, you guys have both said something that Cade Cunningham and Killian Hay need to be successful in the pick and roll. There were no lobs thrown in Detroit unless Hamadou Diallo caught one <laughs> on a fast break or, you know, cut back door or something. There was, I love Isaiah Stewart. But he he's not catching a lot of lobs. KO is not catching a Luca Garza is not catching a lot of lobs. All right. <laughs> so Marvin Bagley brought something that this team didn't have. He he's a bucket on offense. He really is. Yep. The defense is something else. And the contract is tough. The qualifying offer is like seven million, but the cap holds 28, which would take up all of the cap that the Pistons have. I don't know how much they're actually players in free agency. There's a lot of stuff out there. Jalen Brunson talk. Colin Sexton. I don't think DeAndre Ayton's leaving Phoenix. I want to see Marvin Bagley III come back. I really do. I hope, and I think it was reported that they've been working on a three-year deal for him. I would love something in the range of three years, 30 million, something like that. Something less than $10 million a year. Anything over that, now I think you're starting to overvalue him. And the Pistons are in a situation they can't be handing out bad contracts. They can spend money, but they can't spend money bad. And mm. so I think anything under 10 would be a, a good look for Marvin Bagley the third. I love it, man. And I, I think I'm right there with you. I think that like if I had a Detroit Pistons priority list, I don't know if it's number one, right? Like I think you got to nail the draft. 
Yes. You gotta you gotta look at what you can get on and and potentially like the second draft is is what a lot of people refer to it as. Like Marvin Bagley the third is the second draft player because yeah. although he wasn't drafted by Detroit, he could be his best version of himself in Detroit. So maybe look to see if there's other players available like that in free agency or via trade. But I don't know when I'm starting to get around my third or fourth priority for Detroit. Like that's where Marvin Bagley starts ringing in for me. Yeah, I would say the draft. Obviously, that's got to be the number one thing. I would think another thing above him is what do you do with Jeremy Grant? Obviously, a, a big name around the trade deadline. They didn't make the move. Pistons fans were furious. You are you are a professional podcaster because that was going to be the next transition <laughs> after Marvin Bagley. Just go ahead and talk talk about what you want to happen with Jeremy Grant because like he's oh. he's going to be he's an expiring contract. He the, the best versions of Jeremy Grant in terms of higher tier NBA production are basically being more of an impediment to some of Cade's development, right? Like being this on ball type of guy. So it's really like, do you want him around? Is, is this somebody where if you can get like a first round pick back or something along those lines for him, like, do you want to move him? Like, where are you at on Jeremy Grant? Yeah, I would move him for a lottery pick. You know, the, the reports were the Blazers, and that made a lot of sense that that move didn't happen at the trade deadline because the Blazers wanted to lose every game post-trade deadline anyway. So why trade for Jeremy Grant? And then maybe he wins you a few games. The problem was the Pelicans screwed all that up when they made the playoffs, yeah. and now the Blazers don't have two lottery The second games. lottery pick. Yeah. Yes. So are the Blazers going to be willing to part with their only lottery pick? My hope is playing in the Olympics together with Damian Lillard and the control he probably has over the Blazers front office is going to force their hand and make that trade happen. And he slots right into their trade exemption. So I, I would trade him for that. I wouldn't just trade him to trade him. I don't think okay. the Pistons are in that situation. And Omari brought up a great topic on Tuesday's episode of the Pistons Pulse that if they don't trade him, they need to give him the extension this offseason because you don't want him going up to the trade deadline as an expiring contract because then you're up against it. Like, you have to move him or you lose him for nothing. So don't be shocked if they don't move him and give him the extension, but that may not mean that he stays there long-term. You just got to get him under contract for more than an expiring. And then you would have to wait the obligatory, what is it, like 60 like. 60 yeah. days or whatever. I so know it's a few months. Yeah. yeah. So you give him the four year, 112, whatever it is. Uh, hopefully, not that much. Hopefully, it's closer to 100. You know, he's somewhere in the 24, 25 million a year range. And then you can trade, keep him and then trade him at the deadline if the trio of Cade, Bay, Grant, actually, it would be a quartet. Quartet. Is that right? Yeah. Of, you know, hopefully, Apollo, JSJ, whoever it is. There's got to be like a cool Motown thing that you can do with that team <laughs> yes, when you start yes. getting into the quartets. There you go. Yes. So I, I do like to hear from Steven's question that you do, you, you want to buy into Marvin Bagley, you want to buy into the pick and roll finishing player that Marvin Bagley could be. That's honestly, when I evaluated him in his draft class, Bryce, I really pictured him as like the NBA's version of silly putty, right? Like he could be a bunch of different players, but you had to have a clear developmental path yes. on how to actually develop them. And I always thought it was my best opinion when some of the people I worked with at the time were like, what do you see from Marvin Bagley in the NBA? I thought he could have been like an Amari Stoudemire 2.0 because when mm -hmm. I evaluated him back then, he was so quick and explosive slipping yes. off those screens, getting into the basket. And then he had the verticality to go up, catch the ball and finish. I didn't buy that. The post stuff was creative with the left hand. I didn't, by all of that translating to the NBA, 
didn't fully buy him like being this guy who stretches the floor and shoots like four three-pointers game. I wanted him to be very focused on the free throw line and in the Kings for whatever reason, didn't want to develop him like that. So, but you might have a chance at the reclamation project with Bagley because if that's the player he could turn into, he's still so young. Like that, that could be massive value for you guys. I love it. Uh, and listen, I know what people are going to say. Like, who are you to say anything about a different franchise? I'm sure I'm going to get some crap for what I said about the Orlando Magic. I have no idea what the Kings were doing with Marvin Bagley. I was so frustrated when the Pistons traded for him and I went to do my film breakdown. And I literally had to say in my article, I don't know what to tell you guys because he just stood in the corner. They put him in the yeah. corner and he was a catch and shoot three guy. And, and I'll admit that the shot actually looks decent. It looks like it should go in, but it just doesn't. It, you want it to be there as a threat. You don't want yeah. him to actually be doing that for the entire game. Yeah. And so I was like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what we're getting offensively from Marvin Bagley, the third. And then he comes in and there's some crazy dunk stat. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it was like he had 10 for the, with the Kings the whole year. And then he had 30 in 18 games with the Pistons. And <laughs> not that dunks are everything, but you could just tell they were starting to utilize him the right way. The issue with him is, guys, the defense is really bad. And it's not yeah. a it's not an effort thing. I don't believe it's. I a, really don't think it's much of his fault. Cause where was he going to learn that with the Sacramento Kings and the it, time it was, that he's been there? And so that gives me hope because I think it's an awareness thing. So if you're telling me that maybe that can still get coached up, even though he's four years into the league, I have some more hope, but the defensive awareness just isn't good. I think he cares. I think he wants to, he just does. He just can't do it, but maybe he'll learn. I'm more I'm more inclined to give him a pass, man. Like again, like not to be disparaging to any NBA franchise, but considering where he played, considering like how much has changed during his tenure at you know Sacramento, yeah. I'm willing to give him a little bit of a pass because he's still very young, still very he's young, young. Yeah. So very young, very talented. For everybody listening to this podcast, you thought that this was just going to be entirely about Bryce's big board for the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> Listen, you know what? I apologize, but I also just miss talking about the NBA. I miss watching the NBA all the time. Like this, this, this was kind of like really good for my soul. It was a little bit of ther NBA therapy. Um, and, and I'm, I'm NBA glad, chicken soup. Exactly. And I'm glad Bryce that you're able to come on and then have some of those discussions. Bryce is the man. Like, can I just say that in the middle of the show? No, like Bryce is my guy. No, man. this, this podcast has been absolutely incredible and it can only keep getting better because we're about to do what we're here for on draft deeper. Bryce Simon's, big board for the Detroit Pistons. Let's and go. You're, you're probably going to have a top three pick. I don't want to fully jinx it, but I would oh. imagine you probably have a top three pick. There's, there's some very interesting options at the top of the board. And I have thoughts about which direction I think you guys should go, but maybe my answer is not the same as you, Bryce, but I know that you've been digging into a lot of the top prospects because of how He's they been could fit work. in with the Pistons. So Make it, you cannot you can give us multiple options in terms of how you would rank some of the options at the top of the board, but who is the one player who you think would be the best fit for the Pistons? I really think, and I don't I don't think you guys are, I'll be interested to see if you guys agree with me. I think Paulo Bancaro is a really good fit because I believe in Paulo Bancaro as a secondary playmaker. I believe in the ball handling. I believe in the passing. I believe you can give him the ball, have Cade Cunningham set a ball screen and let him attack off of it. 
Mm. And maybe I'm too high on Paulo. I know the floor spacing when Paulo isn't involved. Maybe that's a question. A lot of people think Jabari, like just shooting Pistons were a really bad shooting team. And I get it. And I'll be honest, I'm going to hedge a little, like they're 1A and 1B for me. But I just, I, I've fallen in love with Paulo Bancaro. And so if they have the number one pick, I'd be happy with Jabari Smith Jr. I'd be over the moon. But if I got to make the pick, I would take Paulo Bancaro. Two things about Paolo before I'm sure Steven's going to want to jump in because I know that he's a big Jabari Smith guy. And I'll let him talk about Jabari, even though that I think that would also be my answer for the Pistons, to be honest. And I don't even have Jabari number one on my board. But two things about Paolo. Number one, are you choosing Paolo as the guy that you would want the most because you truly believe your team needs another high-quality offensive option next to Kane? Yes. And then number two, does any of the defense concern you at all with Paolo because he wanted to play a very funnel-centric defensive style at Duke? And God bless Isaiah Stewart. I love me some beef <laughs> stew. But he's he's not even the same style of rim protector as sure. like a Mark Williams that he had at Duke, for example. So really answer those two questions for me. Yes, yeah, so I think offensively, that's where you're making this selection because I do think that they need that second guy. Now, if you told me without a shadow of a doubt that they were going to sign, let's say, Jalen Brunson in free agency, and I know you don't want to talk fit. I get it. I understand. But that would change my mind just a little bit because now, now he's not going to be able to do the stuff I was just talking about. It makes more sense for Jabari Smith Jr. Defensively, I don't. Th I think Paulo's neutral in the NBA. You guys disagree with that? What do you mean by? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I, I think you 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 don't you don't think he's going to be good, but you don't think he's going to be bad. Yeah, I don't right? think he's a negative. Okay. Like I don't think he's just getting cooked, but he's not. I don't think he's going to be like a really good switch defender if that's how he's going to play. I don't. So think on defense in particular, you think he's yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it. just just defense, just defense. I don't think I don't think he's a liability now. Nathan I I think a lot of the stuff that comes back to Paolo defensively, and I had some of this conversation with Coach Spins over on the Box and One podcast when him and I talked about some of the top guys. Was I think Paolo's issues defensively can be coached out. Yes. If he wants them to be coached, if out. he wants I don't, to, yes, I don't. I don't think it's anything to do with his athleticism. I really don't think he has that slow of feet. He has the size to be able to handle different matchups in the post. I just think this this gambling style of I want to be the playmaker. I want to kind of funnel somebody to the basket, get behind them, and swat the ball away or come in and deflect this ball. Like we saw that enough in college to where it either didn't work for him because he wasn't that quick to be able to recover on that type of a play or he chose to funnel somebody in the basket when Mark Williams wasn't even there. Like he just completely was not aware of everything going on behind him. So I think if, if, if a coach can come in and really preach playing more of a team centric style, better communication, better awareness as to what's going on in front of him and around him. And those are lessons he can learn over the next two or three years. I agree with you. I think he can be like a Tobias Harris style of defensive player in the sense that you don't want him going out there and guarding everybody on an island one-on-one. -on -one. But if he gets in certain matchups in certain spots, like he can hold his own in the block and he can hold his own against different types of players. I think that's what Paolo can be. Yeah, I guess all I want to say is like, I think he can be a part of a good defensive team. I don't think he's going yeah. to completely hold you back, but he's not going to be the reason, which Correct. I know Jabari could be the re or one of the reasons you're a good NBA defense. And obviously I know that's a high upside um, value from Chet Holmgren as well so I love the the idea of Paulo in Detroit and 
what I really like about the way that the draft is shaping out, the one city that I would not want Paolo to go to would be Houston because I think that it is more of like a glitz glam, especially with the teammates that he would have. I feel like they would be very, uh, you know, um, you know, kind of out there with like the, maybe their personalities and, you know, like they would very much care like what they wear. I mean, the you, mean you don't want like them that. throwing it back with Jalen Green and Jacob? You don't, you don't want I, that to happen? I don't think so, you know, and Kevin Porter Jr. is there. Like I'm, I'm not talking negatively about them, but I just don't feel like that combination of young players in that particular city makes a lot of sense when you're wanting to potentially take a guy number one overall. When you're drafting Paolo to Detroit, like that means something, especially with the history of that organization. You could even make a, a different kind of argument in Orlando where it doesn't have the history, but it's Orlando. Like you're you're going to be able to make mistakes and you're not going to have like paparazzi all over you, right? So I like the idea of Paolo in Detroit because I feel like the city would hold him accountable. I feel like the history would kind of make him have to be a little bit more tougher on that defensive side of the ball. Where, you know, Nathan, we talked about this before. I feel like he kind of prefers to let the offensive player get a head start so he can try to get a chase down block. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of style. that. Yeah, so the thing about Jabari in Detroit, I think that it works. But I think that him as a defender, you're not like – I feel like people could play up the defense so much that he's almost expected to be a savior on that side of the ball. And as great as I think Jabari is as a defender, I don't think that he is like a defensive anchor, whereas you can make that argument for potentially a Chet Holmgren, right? So I feel like the immediacy that Paulo would give you on offense, he might not be the best offensive player when everyone is hanging up their sneakers in this draft class, but in the immediacy, I like him a lot in Detroit. I feel like he helps out your team. And then Detroit, him not being a negative is a good thing, too. And that's something you could build for for following draft classes and free agencies, what have you. Yeah, and my thing with Jabari – listen, I love Jabari Smith Jr. And I love oh, me even, too. Even <laughs> after after diving into the film, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's a better shooter than, <laughs> what, than what I thought. I sat here, I record in my classroom, as you can see, the whiteboard behind me. And I was just sitting here, and I would literally go, holy cow, wow. Oh my, like, like it was just the shots he makes. He's not just a catch and shoot guy. He's one, two dribble pull up. He has the full bag in the mid post. My question would be now you're asking Cade again to literally do everything off the bounce for the Pistons because, and maybe Jabari's going to develop this. Like who am I? I think he will. I think he will, but it's not going to like you. You're not going to see it. Like maybe you're one, two, maybe even three, but I think the handle does get better. And that's why I say, like, if, the, if you're telling me they're going to sign Jalen Brunson, then I'm like, okay, Jabari Smith Jr. makes a lot more sense because now you have Jalen Brunson and that trio, that quartet with Sadiq Bey, it all kind of fits together. So I, I think I've fallen in love maybe to a fall a little bit with the idea of what Paulo can be as a creator with the ball in his hands. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I've kind of fallen for that. My, my argument for Jabari Smith, to the Pistons and that's that's really the one fit near the top of the draft that I really like I I have Chet number one on my board and I'll ask you about Chet in a second I would like Chet a lot more places but the thing with Jabari is that Cade you make a good point about offensive responsibility maybe you don't want him to have to do literally everything but when Cade does have to do everything how many guys does he have on the team right now to where he's passing it out he knows that like this guy's gonna knock down the shot right it's it's honestly like it's Sadiq Bey at the moment Maybe Isaiah Livers when he comes in for stretches and like, that's about it. And I think that really really opens the floor. Like 
if he has more guys around him like Jabari, who he has confidence in offensively, maybe that would be like a psychological type of thing. Like, okay, if I just look to make the right play here, maybe it's not the flashiest play. Maybe it's not the one that leads directly to an assist. But if I skip the ball out here and I have this guy who can kind of hockey assist and boomerang it around to somebody like Jabari Smith Jr. I know the ball is going to get moved outside of me. It's going to go to the right spot and that guy's going to knock it down. Like maybe that in a way would also kind of help Kate Cunningham. No, that's a really good point. And I do think there's a lot of truth to that. And the other thing is like, one thing I loved about Jabari is like, he just had this attitude in a positive way, like in a, in the, in a good way on the defensive end. Like he just, yeah. like he would fit, he, Detroit would love. He is nasty, man. He, he is, is on both ends. He is nasty. So him, Ben Matherin, and I, I don't know if we're going to get to There this, we go. Ben there Matherin go. had a little bit more of that than what I realized, like just some like attitude and stuff. And then for as slight as he is, Chet Holmgren like has that as well. And yeah, I Yeah, so why why not Chet in any of the 1A 1B conversation? Where where are you at on Chet before we move to like maybe one or two guys after him? I'm not, I'm not fully bought into everything with Chet. And I know, I know, I know everybody's tired of people talking about the body and I get it to me. It's not wait, even about wait, Bryce. People are talking about his body, <laughs> but before, before you think you're bad for mentioning it, you get into some of why it bothers you, Bryce. I've, I've had people much smarter than me have come to me with some of those same concerns and explain why it's a concern. So like as much as I don't want to talk about it all day and night, it, it is something that we technically have to talk about because yep. it's something that NBA teams are going to have to do their due diligence on and recognize. And so the crazy thing is I, it doesn't bother me as much on the defensive end. He's winning on the defensive end with his length and his timing and his competitiveness where I think it actually limits him is offensively. I've watched too many clips where like he couldn't push through contact whenever he's putting the ball on the ground. He's not going, I don't think he's going to the post and taking advantage of, I mean, a really bad mismatch. Obviously he's going to take advantage of that. What kind of screener is he going to be with that frame? Like all of those things kind of worry me and I'm still trying to figure out, I'll be honest of, of kind of the top 10 guys. He's probably the one guy I haven't watched like full game films on and, and really dove into quite as much. I'm not sure how much I buy into the offense. I'm just not sure. Maybe you can sell me to me. I buy the shot. That's what I buy offensively. I think he can be a good passer, I think he can do some other things well, but like, I don't see like this true grab and go, just like create all this stuff off the bounce. I, I don't know. Nathan Nathan is more of a believer in the offense. I think than I almost anybody that okay. I've spoken to, like Nathan has high praise on what he think his, he thinks his high end outcome could be as an NBA scorer. I, I think he has the highest ceiling. I, I'll admit that. Sure. I, I just think at Gonzaga, he was used almost exclusively as a play finisher, whether that be on an easy catch around the basket, finish it, or catch, you know, be, being able to bring the ball up, shoot as a trailer option, yeah. or shoot from the perimeter off the catch. Like, in both respects, play finisher. He didn't get the same types of touches that Paolo Vincaro got to do, the same sure. types of touches that Jabari Smith got at Auburn. Your, your point about being pushed off of his spots when he gets going off the bounce 100% agree with that. That is a concern. However, I just think if he would have gotten more of those opportunities around the elbow to get into some of those jab set moves, him being able to showcase more of a shooting touch inside the arc, because 
whether whether you're right or not about him getting pushed off the spots if he's if he's kind of just there and he's going through like a triple threat kind of motion like he could shoot over guys he could shoot over virtually anybody so like I just wonder if he would have had more touches in different spots on the floor what that would have looked like for him and I still buy into that type of offense on top of him cutting to the basket and getting going in transition the easy lob stuff um, the free throw shoot, like there, in my opinion, like I understand people don't want to project him to be like a 20 plus points per game score because they don't see him doing it in the more traditional sense, but there's so many play types that you can involve him in to where he can build up to that 18 to 20 points per game. And then you get everything with him defensively. Okay. So maybe that's where I'm at because with Jabari and Paulo, I saw it game after game, after game, after game. I'm like, okay, I can, I'm comfortable stamping my name onto Jabari Smith, being able to do all this different stuff in the mid post. And with Chet, it was like, okay, here's a flash of it. Here's a flash of it. But what you're saying is I shouldn't, I should trust that because it wasn't that Chet couldn't do it more often. It was that he wasn't, he wasn't given the opportunities. He honestly wasn't like, and when he's, And when he's put in those spots of the floor that Nathan is speaking to, Bryce, just to kind of – I'm not out on Chet. Like, obviously top three talent. But, like, I feel like I I probably see more holes in his game or or am a little bit more – I don't know. Like, I think I I believe in the holes a little bit more, um, if that's the right way to even say it. But I think that when he does get the the ball in those spots of the floor that Nathan is talking about, he had to feed Drew Timmy. Like it was when he sure. got it on the elbow, it was the high low game. The he always low. had yep. he absolutely always had to get it to Drew Timmy. Whereas in the NBA, I don't know how much of that high low action he's going to be expecting to get. So when he is in those spots in the in the middle is a little bit more spread out because he's going to be the four or the five. Like he'll have a little bit more creation opportunity. And he'll have some of these guys that he can kick out to because he's a great passer, especially positionally. Yeah, and and the last thing I'll say about Chad is that and I know Tyler Rucker and, and Albert on our No Ceilings team got to see him live and in, in person out in Vegas, and they got to watch him warm up and kind of go through his pregame routine. And they, they, I just remember Rucker talking about everything he was practicing. He was practicing like Kevin Durant style shots out there, yep. and he was making them with absolute ease. So it just it comes back to if his body, his frame's not going to change. He's always going to be this very slight guy. He's going to struggle holding on and retaining any weight that he gains. But if he can just get stronger, if he just adds enough strength, I think so many of these concerns that we all have just go away. And then you can tap into more of the ball handling creativity on offense. Cause we see it. I, I know it's not in these crammed half court situations, but you see how fluid it can be in transition sure. when he's bringing the ball up the floor. He like, all of a sudden, he, he can get going off the bat. Like, he, all of a sudden, he'll, like, zoom past multiple guys and he'll yep. get to the rim. And you're like, well, we didn't necessarily see that coming from Chet. So, I just I, – I, I, it's more theoretical than some of what we could talk about with Jabari and Paolo because I agree, Bryce, we've seen more examples of what those guys can do at greater volume. It's theoretical. But I'm buying into the theoretical creativity with Chet, and that's why I would have him number one over some of these other guys. But – to kind of close out this podcast, there is a let, let's just say in in theory that the Pistons don't end up with, with a top three pick. And all three Nathan, guys, I was gonna I swear I wrote it down. If you weren't gonna ask this, I was gonna ask this. I'm so like it, this is why we co-host the show. Today. It has to be where, where we go. Because I know Bryce has watched more than, than just like the top three guys, but if for whatever reason those three big guys are off the board. It doesn't have to be the the next guy on the consensus big board, but like who is the one other name that you would love to see in a Pistons uniform? 
I really like Benedict Matherin. I already said his name Man. once. I, I don't think you take him at four. And, and I think it's real easy to say if the Pistons land at four, you trade out. Well, you got to find someone that has then fallen in love with Jaden Ivey or Shaden Sharp or maybe Keegan Murray. I, I don't know. You, you got to find somebody yeah. to trade with, right? Yep. Benedict Matherin is a guy I watched the film. And I just really like his game. I like what he does. And everybody throws out the KCP comparison. I get it. I just think there's more of an upside that he, and, and again, I'm going to, me and Steven have talked about this. I'm going to learn a lot of lessons this season. On, we all are. On we, scouting, we all are. On scouting prospects. I know part of my thing with Benedict Matherin is that man is a smooth, smooth athlete. And it just is aesthetically pleasing watching him play the game of basketball. And, and that's just, that that's I, I know it catches my eye I think he's a three and d guy at worst and he's a 20 point a game guy at best with some ability to create and he's just got some dog and competitiveness in him that I really really love you, you so might as Bryce, well close out the show Steven because that's that that's your boy you might as well take us home I mean it's unbiased like I didn't solicit Bryce for this opinion so I mean the fact that you know two smart guys are over here talking about how good Benedict Matherin is I mean it just so happened you know anyway Bryce what do you think about these two comps because I can't shake these when I when I watch Benedict Matherin and I'm I'm going back a little bit right so I know you can hang with this what do you think about like Michael Finley Michael Red kind of comparisons with that because when I watch him like you said, you know, offensively do a lot of the work outside on the perimeter can move the ball a little bit. It's not their forte necessarily, but are capable. And then obviously on the defensive end can do a little something like a lot of folks might remember Michael Finley is just like, you know, on the Spurs or the Celtics, whatever, just like the statue in the corner. But I mean, young Michael Finley had some hops now and, yes. and Michael Red for Milwaukee, you know, an, an really Olympian, good. you know, like really good company to be in. And when I watch when I watch Benedict Matherin, like I can't shake a lot of the same similarities that in between his game and theirs. No, I love that. Just smooth athletes. Michael Red was smooth. That jumper was so smooth. What I really liked about Ben Math is whenever I watch film, I take a game early in the year and then just slowly progress throughout the That's season. That's how you do it. And, yes, and you could you could see the progression of his ability to create for teammates. And that's what yep. really kind of got me excited about him was you early in the year, he wasn't doing much of that. Then he's playing in pick and roll a little bit more. He's dumping stuff off, making the pass to the weak side. The, the mid range has to improve. It's a little bit worrisome. I think he's, I think he's got to make mechanical improvements from the mid yes. range. Like he's got to yes. stop falling back exclusively on that yes. shot. Like he's got to be much more upright when going. I, I want to ask one, and I know we're running long. I'm so sorry. No, so dude, it, go it, ahead. In the Piston Pulse mock, we ended up with Jaden Ivey to the Rockets. And I want to ask you guys, how wonky is that fit? Or is it like so crazy that you love it? Because like Jaden Ivey <laughs> and Jalen Green, is, is that amazing? Or is that a disaster? Well, Steven, this, this technically counters your philosophy because you want to draft for fit over there, but you don't necessarily want to do BPA all the time. So I know you so that's what we not, we not all the time. Okay. So let me give some context. The Pistons, we went the big three. I took Shaden Sharp number four for the Pistons. And so that left Ivy on the board for the Rockets at number five. And Omar, me and Omari were bouncing back and forth. And Omari was like, I don't have any other choice. Like I have to take Jaden Ivy. Um, 
So I just, you guys do this for a living. So I'm just like curious, what would you think if something like that actually happened? So in that situation where it's the big figure off the board and Shane Sharp's off the board, it's really a question of, okay, well, it's Jay and Ivy. Maybe it's Keegan Murray. Maybe you throw Benedict Matherin in that conversation. I don't think it's crazy because, and this, this really hurts me, Bryce. I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I've made so many friends on Rocket Twitter. I don't want to slander anybody, but... <laughs> For as much as I love Kevin Porter Jr., is he the definite answer next to Jalen Green? And unfortunately, we don't have that answer from a consistency standpoint, right? Like at, at his absolute apex, he can be an awesome complimentary piece next to Jalen Green when he's at his best getting downhill and pick and roll, spraying the ball everywhere. That can be something that works, but there's also just been plenty of moments throughout the season, particularly in the start of the year where he just, he didn't end up being that guy out of the gates that I thought he would be. Like I was on Chad Ford's podcast and we did like a top 10 ranking of guys who we thought could really make leaps out of the young guys. I had Kevin Porter Jr. Like fourth on that board. Cause I really thought he was due for a breakout year, much more in line with that 50 point game he had against the bucks than some of the inconsistency shown in the beginning of the year. If if the inconsistent Kevin Porter Jr. is what you're going to have next to Jalen Green, I think the franchise is going to be forced to go in a different direction one way or the other. And in that scenario, if Jay Nivey's on the board, I think the BPA kind of forces their hand and you, you would have to bring in Ivy. And that's maybe some view that as like an unfair competition of sorts, but that that's, that's disrespect at that point, in my opinion, to Jay Nivey, if you're passing on him because just because you don't think he's the best fit. Well, and to me, like, you, I think Kevin Porter Jr. has to have a realistic outlook on where he stacks up in relation to his peers' position. And I still love right? him, man. I love Scoot. Yeah. I absolutely love Scoot. Like, I want him to succeed so bad. But we we, yeah. right. we got to be realistic, Stephen. But, but, like, what other team has he started? Like, he's he's lucky that he went to Houston to have the opportunity to get as much burn and, and, and start time. So, if you're drafting Ivy, you got to talk to Kevin Porter Jr. and be like, look, man, like, we got to be real with you. Like, we love you. We, you have a, a definite role in, and we need you on this team. But maybe that's being like a, a top three six man in the nation or something like that. Because if you want to leave, like we'll help you out or whatever. But there's not going to be a lot of teams out there for you, man, that are going to give you a starting opportunity. So you can stay here and play with your best friend and Jalen Green and and be like one of the most athletic backcourts in the nation and still have a great role for you. But you know, we have to take Jade and Ivy here. Like that would be my approach specifically for the Rockets, because if I'm looking at a, at these other prospects that you could take at that position, like Dyson Daniels, I don't love in Houston, Malachi Branham. I don't know if he gives you really anything else. And none of these guys on the Rockets, like make sense to me to draft over Jade and Ivy for that team. So like, are you guys comfortable giving Jade and Ivy the keys? Like, I guess that gets it more into like, because I guess me and Omari have talked more. We feel like Jaden Ivey is an off-ball player. So if Jaden Ivey ended up in Detroit, we actually think that's a great fit for Jaden Ivey because Cade can dominate the ball for the most part. Jaden Ivey can play off-ball. The, the shooting numbers, I don't know how much we believe in the shot, but it's, it's been decent. But it's he nice. Can, yeah, he can attack closeouts, get out in transition, but he doesn't have to be making all of these reads. Um, and so I guess that's where we thought it was wonky was like, you're handing him the keys to the car, and is that what best for Jay Nivey? I don't I think mean, that you are. I don't think that you're saying, like, Jay Nivey, here's your franchise, because you have a guy. 
I just Jaylen. need the ball in his hands. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Jay, well, Jalen Green's going to continue to have the ball in his hands a lot more too, similar okay. to Cade. Okay. Like the Rockets were really putting the ball in his hands through the end of the season. Okay. That's how he got okay. to a lot of those um, thirty-point games that he had because they're going to trust him to be more of a pick and roll creator as he develops further in his career. So, if you have a guy like Ivy who can take some pressure off Jalen Green, can handle the ball in similar situations like. Kevin Porter Jr. can right now, for example, maybe Ivy's just a more consistent player for you next to Jalen Green. I think that can work. And it would really be a lot of the same things with Cade because I know the Jaden Ivy's highest ceiling outcome is as a point guard. And if you yep. believe he's a point guard, you can argue him in that top three conversation. But unless he gets all the way to the basket, which again, he is so fast that maybe in an, on an NBA court that I'm just underrating the fact that he probably will be able to get there so often. But if he gets to that mid-range area, man, it's like a no man's land for him. And he's just not, he doesn't have the mid-range pull-up jumper. He he has touch, I think, on a runner, which is something I think he just needs to go to more. And if yep. he can have that in his bag, I think that makes up for the lack of a mid-range pull-up. But he's got to have something because these guards, these high volume, high usage guards that have the ball in their hands, that's really the one thing that they have to continue to develop and add to their bags. And I think Cade's not only going to have the three point shot. I think he's going to have a lot of that mid range creativity as we talked about as he gets stronger. I don't have the answer for that with Jay Ivy, which is why I'm projecting him. I have him. I think I have him like fifth right now on my board versus fourth. I actually have Shane Sharp ahead of him, which same, I mean, that that piece that I wrote for No Ceilings, I've said it on multiple shows. That was the hardest bit of writing that I've done in quite a while because such limited tape. But from what, what I've seen, the star power, like in my opinion, if the Pistons lose out on one of those top three guys, like Shaden Sharp is who I would go with to put next to Kate. But and I, I, don't, I don't know how and, much you've seen of, of Shaden Bryce. But and just real quick, Bryce, just we, we turned it into a Houston Rockets podcast. The other <laughs> thing that I'll, I'll say about Ivy to the Rockets that I like a little bit is that. We've seen Ivy succeed playing off of playmaking bigs at Purdue. Playing Alperin, next to Shangun. Alperin Shangun. Like yep. there's another little built-in thing for comfortability to integrate him into, into that roster. I, I've tried as what to watch as much Shaden Sharp as I can get my hands on. You know, like I, I've gone to the YouTube. I'm a guy, I want to watch full games. I don't want to watch the highlights. I don't want to watch the clip of just Same. whether it's makes, misses, turnover. I want to see the full game. I want to be able to see how they look off ball on defense. I want to see how they move off ball on offense. So I want to go back and watch full the games. The off ball offense stuff looks good. The off ball defense. For sure. He's a young, he's a young basketball player. Yeah. He's a young can, basketball player. Can, can you just, can, really quick, can you maybe just hammer some of that home for our audience price before we close out the podcast? Like, we we will go back and we'll evaluate these young guys and we'll expect them to be awesome on defense. But in reality, like, the majority of these rookies coming into the NBA, like, they're, just, they're, they're not good on defense. Like, I think that's more or less something of what we have to live with. And can you teach them how to be better in certain respects versus expecting too much from them right away to the point where we overshadow some of the positive things they can do on the court. And then also to play into that too, Bryce, like how, how important defensively in the NBA are physical dimensions instead of just like on-court productivity at the college level? Yeah, I mean, I think me, me and Omari talked about this on the episode that – NBA defense is hard. I think yeah. people try to simplify it. And, and again, guys, I've only been in this world for a couple of years covering, you know, content creation, whatever we want to call it for the NBA. And really, I was a college guy because that's where I played. That's where my career capped out. I'm a high school coach. 
and the games are completely different. Like the level I coach at is completely different than, you know, obviously the NBA, but even college. But I was one of those guys like, oh yeah, NBA guys just don't play that hard. If they try, like, no, NBA players are incredible offensively. You have a on-ball creator that you can't stay in front of no matter how gifted you are physically. You have a guy that's going to screen and can jump 12 feet in the air to catch the lob and three shoot, unless you're the Pistons, three shooters <laughs> around them to knock down shots. And it's like the amount of space you have to cover defensively on an NBA court is ridiculous. Every, and, and you can't be in the lane. You can't just stand there and take a charge. I was going like, to say the timing too. You, yeah, you like, don't like, be in a spot for so long. We coach our kids, get in the lane and take a charge. And we take five charges a game. And like, that's what we do. You can't do that in the NBA. It's, it's, it's not possible. And so the rotations, the try to come up with a scheme to stop the Milwaukee Bucks. Tell me how you're going to do it. Because Giannis is beating everybody one-on-one. -on -one, and if you double him, then the other guys are going to make shots. If you don't rotate perfectly, you're giving up an offensive rebound. It's, it's really, really hard. And I think these kids are coming up. And because the high school game is completely different, because the college game is completely different. And they're only in college for one year. For one year. They don't know how to guard. If it's that, not, for Shaden yeah. Sharp. <laughs> <laughs> he practiced for a few months. But, sure. like, it just – it takes it takes a lot of development. It takes a yeah. lot of awareness. It takes communication and just familiarity oh with your teammates. Like the chemistry, like, it takes years to develop that stuff. And that's what like Pistons fans got mad because Rex Kalamian, the assistant coach, who's like the DC, is switching everything. And it's like I went to the film. They can't execute anything other than switch everything. They can't switch with Stu, drop with Bagley only switch one through four off ball screens. It was just too much. They couldn't communicate it. The chemistry wasn't good enough. It takes years of that kind of stuff to develop that kind of team defense. If you have the same coach for that long. And the same players. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Well, Bryce, I can, I listen, I knew this was going to be a good podcast, but this, this was, this was better than I think I ever could have expected, man. You are incredible at what you do. And I'm glad that you and Steven are bros and that this was an easy connection for us to make to bring you on the podcast. Cause this was, this was exactly what all of our listeners deserved. If, if they are Detroit Pistons fans out there and they want to learn more about the team and what to expect in the off season, the draft, this was what they needed. So I can't thank you enough for coming on the show just one more time for my audience please plug yourself plug every single thing that you're doing because anybody who follows us and our work need to be following what you're doing in the nba space it's imperative yeah well thank you guys one and i had a blast i know you can't see the video but i had a smile on my face the entire time and i've like been dreading the end the entire time i've been looking at the clock like i know we're going long <laughs> oh they can see the video we're gonna oh. be on youtube oh, baby okay, come on okay. we got draft deeper on right, YouTube. Perfect. everyone wave so, at bryce <laughs> so earlier when i was looking like an idiot doing whatever everybody's gonna see it but i've just been like i don't want this to end because i'm having so much fun but bryce simon at motor city hoops on twitter Got a YouTube channel going, post some videos, doing some draft stuff at Mavs Draft, do some articles on DBB, Detroit Bad Boys, and then check out the Pistons Pulse if you want more Pistons content. My co-host is Omari Sankofa II, Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press. You guys are the GOATs. I love everything you're doing. I always listen to Draft Deeper and No Ceilings for my NBA draft content. Man, there Bryce, you, you, are, you are an absolute legend, Manda. It's been a pleasure and an honor to get to know you more, just like on a personal level, as, yes, as well as continuing to talk basketball. You're like you're truly one of the, the the best professionals in the game, man. So I'm glad to 
to have you on the show tonight. Absolutely. Plug, plug yourself, Steven. Do what you always do every time you're on. And for sure, if folks want to follow me, uh, most active on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. That's Stephen with the PH, the letter G, and then Hoops. Uh, you can also find all of my written work on NoSeilingsNBA.com. The most recent, uh, I guess, episode or um, article that I have for the Weekend Warrior is up, where you know featured Ron Harper Jr. talked a little bit about um, why ageism is gross, and then of course, kind of updated players that declared for the draft. And some of the transfer portal guys, obviously, that'll be updated this upcoming Sunday. And then, you know, our guys, Nathan, uh, Corey and Rucker, they had an awesome episode of On the Clock Drop on our No Ceilings TV YouTube channel. Again, for the listeners who are unfamiliar, that's kind of their take on the pardon the interruption uh, spin. And it's a great show. It's great bite size. Like if you got 15 minutes, you can watch and enjoy some great draft content from our No Ceilings collective brethren there. Definitely make sure you're subscribed, not only to their YouTube channel, No Ceilings TV, I should say our YouTube channel, but when I say ours, I also mean Draft Deeper as well. Make sure you're checking out the podcast on YouTube. Make sure you're listening and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. And of course, NoCeilingsNBA.com. I just put out a piece today as we're recording this on May 2nd. I put out a piece on Michael Foster Jr. Why Fantastic my, article. Why he's my hidden gem in the 2022 NBA draft second round. Got to tie into my alma mater, Temple University, a little bit with that piece as well. So that was that was a special way for me to, to start my week, as was this podcast as well. So definitely make sure you're staying tuned to all things No Ceilings NBA on Twitter, NoCeilingsNBA.com. And on the draft deeper front, we will have plenty more content for you in the coming weeks. But until then, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Much love, everybody.